You're listening to DraftKings Network. May I ask you a question? Please. Okay. Can I ask you um, a question? Yes. I had what was that? I don't even what her Taylor name Swift. is Taylor Swift. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Too Many Men. My name is Allison Lucan. um, And as always, I am joined by the live streaming, soon to be internet faster having, and cat mom extraordinaire to our favorite mascot, Rangoon, Sarah Sivian. Sarah, how are you today? Yes, I'm excited to get my Ethernet cord. I'm so bad with the technical aspects of things sometimes, but luckily I have my cat Rangoon here to help me. So It's okay. So are many GMs, and they seem to yeah. be fine. <laughs> Running on fax machines in the year 2023. <laughs> All right. And we, of course, would be nothing without... And y'all, I just have to keep talking about it because I just uh, did a quick hit with Jeff Merrick, who continues to praise the Gossip Girl insider stylings of one Shayna Goldman, bigger than the rest of them, better than the best of them. Shayna, say hi. Hi, you're so good at this. I, I, listen, it's Don't easy when I, have the, when I have the caliber of colleagues that I have in this show. It's easy peasy. Um, let's get to it, friends. We went through a big trade deadline uh, news, and um, now we get to have the fun of watching who just massively fucked up and who massively <laughs> just like totally succeeded and is now instantly the most brilliant GM or front office of all time. Um, but before we get into that, uh, let's talk about a little bit of news. Um, something that we've had on the back burner for a while. A little what? Oh, shit. Wow. wow. It's like, I mean nothing to you anymore. <sighs> I feel shame. I feel shame. You flew Folks. right into that. You're firing hot today. You just you dropped an f bomb. You flew into our favorite segment. <laughs> I didn't even notice. Not see. Okay, thank you. Not even our favorite segment, Sarah. It's your favorite segment. What time is it? Bit O news. Bit O news, friends. And if you check out our online store starting today, as this episode drops Tuesday, uh, you will see that we have a bit of news merch uh, coming on for you. Something that we've had on the back burner for a while that we wanted to highlight was the Boston Bruins Pride Night. And we were demanded by the hockey universe to talk about it again in concert because we also saw some pretty fantastic pride celebrations coming out of the Colorado avalanche last night, Sunday night, against the Kraken. Our own friend of the pod, Piper Shaw, was there. Um, and she said it was more than she's seen any other team do. It was great. In Arena, they had messages from four or five players about why Pride Night is important. They had a lesbian engagement and then brought the couple out for a pretty lengthy interview. These are Piper's words about why these nights are important and what the hockey community means to them when they've embraced the LGBTQ plus community. There was also a ton that they did on social. Before we get into these two wins um, from two very prominent clubs, Sarah, if you're able to pull back the memory, can you share with us what was most poignant about what the Bruins did when they celebrated Pride? I think 
just their dedication to the details. Like a lot of the guys had their sticks taped. I think everybody did. And they had um, sign language too. And they had the sign language shirts that said Bruins. I thought that was really, really nice. And I don't know. I'm kind of like the trade deadline happened. Everything happened. I'm like, what was so good? I mean, obviously that and all the players getting into it and... (laughs) <laughs> we had, we did have a tweet from PJ Clifton, um, who put out oh, a yeah. picture of his nephew Connor uh, playing in the game against the Islanders, still representing the Bruins and his uncles by having pride tape on his stick. Uh, yes. Bruins were a little bit ago, and as Sarah said, we can't remember anything past yesterday because we're women and we only have two brain cells. But uh, the Colorado night really does stick out because it just happened. And Shayna, what are some uh, moments or messages that, that you'll take away from, from what these teams have done? And if it's just about what you saw in Colorado, that's cool too. Yeah, it's just like, it was impressive too because like I if, if I saw right, they didn't have the warm-up jerseys and it kind of shows like how much effort you can put into a night even if you don't have that detail. It was things like the commentators were enthusiastic about it and wearing, you know, Pride merch and, and you know, like they had rainbows, you know, like in their outfit details, which was a, a cute little detail, like a rainbow tie. It's something that I think brightens up a broadcast. It was on the score bug, the locker room tags, you know, every player's name. It was all done in Pride. They talked to players about why Pride was important. It just felt like through all the small details, it really adds up. And I think that takes a lot of effort than even, you know, simply saying, hey, wear the jerseys, which is a good option. But I think that there's ways to get around this creatively that you can still show that you give a shit. And it really did feel like the Avalanche did from top to bottom. And I I think we can also shout out the Ducks too. I think they did a really good job last Friday. So it's, it's not hard to do the right thing. It's not hard to put an ounce of thought into this. And there's all different ways to have a pride night in the NHL that if you take the time to plan it, which it feels like the Avalanche did, like, you know, it's gonna make the sport a lot better. We also in bid on news because we were so consumed with trades, didn't spend adequate time on a couple big signings that went down in the past week. Uh, first up, Detroit, signing captain Dylan Larkin to an eight-year extension at 8.7 her and then they go ahead and promptly trade away his best friend on the team (laughs) but hey life comes at you fast uh do you like the signing sarah and do you think that dylan larkin is now maybe second guessing it after seeing the decisions his gm made at the deadline i know poor dylan larkin was literally sobbing uh, during the interview about his contract because bertuzzi was gone to the bruins but i think I'm sure they had a conversation, especially somebody like Geiserman probably told him what was happening. Like, hey, if we sign you to this deal, we don't really have enough money to sign Bertuzzi. He's not. It was Bertuzzi's kind of own decision, too. Like, he made it clear that he wanted to sign for X and he's not budging. So what are the Red Wings to do? I like this for Larkin. I have gone back and forth on if he's the number one guy to lead the Red Wings into, like, their playoff era. I don't know. I think they could use more of, I don't know, maybe he's a good second-line center, but at the same time, what could he do on a team that's a little more competitive? I I still think 8.7 isn't that expensive for him. I I think that's probably a good deal. Shayna, your thoughts on the Red Wings captain sticking around, in theory, for eight more years? Yeah, I like the signing. I think that, like Sarah said, it's not too much for a 1C. So you look at how teams tend to like divvy up their cap. First line center, rightfully so, usually leads the way. Same with like a number one defenseman and like a top winger. So it feels like they have the pieces in place. They have Cider, they have Larkin, and it feels like Lucas Raymond could be that number one winger for them. Um, he stuck through some really shitty years, and there were some really seriously shitty years. We really only saw him have one true down season below the surface, and I think injuries had a lot to do with it. 
So I like it. I liked how he played last year. I really do like how he's playing this year. It feels like even when things are falling apart, he's doing a good job kind of keeping the team together in a lot of ways by staying in games. And they're so night and day different from last year at this time of year. So I do like it. I think that he's maybe not your elite, elite, elite 1C, but I think he's a he's a high-end 1C. And I think that's a good thing to have. So I like it. It's, it's a lot of money without being so much that it's going to like hamstring the team either, which I think... It feels like there's some notes he's learning from Eisenman from his time in Detroit, too. And I like that he even said, like, his next contract, and he was already talking about that, is not going to be the big one. Like, this is the big one, and he just wants it that he'll do whatever moving forward to keep this team competitive. And I know some people might look at him and be like, dude, you're still making $9 million. But when we think about some prices around the league and, you know, what we'll talk about next, it's not that bad for that to be the foundational piece that they view him as. You know, that's what you're making. So, I don't know. I just, the vibes around it all feel kind of good, minus the whole Bertuzzi thing. But I'm sure he kind of had to know that was coming. It still sucks, and you're just going to, like, feel through it in the moment. But, you know, that that's why I think Prashant tweeted it. Like, we need to be careful how we talk about players, too. Like, trade assets, trade chips. Like, here's the human aspect. Don't forget that. Yes, and since that signing, they, the team came into that game, into that signing, having lost three, and they haven't won since. So, go Wings. Um, speaking of not spending too much, this one is a quandary for me because we have another huge extension. David Pasternak in Boston, eight years extension, 11.25. And here's the thing, y'all. I don't know that any of us would argue that he's worth that much money. But when you look at what the cap world currently is and what Boston may or may not be over those next eight years, Sarah, your analysis. I think he's worth that money. I would Venmo him my entire paycheck. All I, I think he's the most lovely person. I, I think he brings something to a team, especially a team like the Bruins, that's kind of bridging the gap between older and younger that is so invaluable. Uh, I once asked Jim Montgomery what is something about Pasternak that we wouldn't know. And he said it's not just about how skilled he is, which he just had his 44th goal. Come on. Um, it's not even, well, it is halfway through the season. But he's not over. And he's the one that's pumping everybody up. He's screaming on the bench. And you expect that to be like a fourth liner. So to have David Pasternak do that is so valuable to pump everybody else up. He loves the game. He comes from humble beginnings and has not changed who he is. I love that he's getting paid like so much. And I think Whereas a lot of people can get distracted by a contract season, he just kept playing well. I think that's so valuable to be able to not let the noise get to you. And he just brings such a fun vibe to the team that, yeah, and the cap probably is rising in the next few years. And it's like, it's such a contract that it's the biggest contract in Bruins history, which is saying a lot for the Bruins too. And of course it is. I don't know. It's just like, yes, he's a winger, but at the same time, he brings... he. I don't think he's the MVP of the team, but he's top three MVP. Shayna, again, I don't think any one of us is mad that Pasta is getting his paper and we all think he's worth this dollar amount. But you look back, you know, a few years ago and Chicago signs two players to $10 million per contracts and and that ends up uh, hamstringing their roster and ultimately you could argue being part of why they are now where they are. If the cap doesn't go up significantly, even though this is one of the best players deserving of this much money, is this the right decision from a management perspective? I think it's such a case-by-case situation because you're going to have it. Like, no matter who plays center in Boston after Bergeron, like, it's not going to be to the heights of Bergeron. So I feel like they actually can afford it. With Chicago, it wasn't that they signed two players for that. It was that 
everyone else got their salaries so inflated by those Stanley Cups. And if you just let it be Taves and Kane as the faces of the franchise, the players that brought you the cup as the players who get paid, and I don't think anyone would argue that they didn't deserve it. It's then it's the Keiths, the Seabrooks, the everybody else's. The Dave Bolin got a huge contract. Like these players that are getting these giant paychecks just for winning. And we're going to see this with Tampa too. No one would argue that Kucherov and Vasilevsky and Stamko shouldn't be the highest paid players on the team and had been. But when you get into uh, Chernak's contract, that's going to be a problem. You could say, sure, you could go forward with Sergachev, but like the other players around it can't be the ones making that kind of money. So if Boston moves forward and says, Pashnak is our all-star up front, period. This is what he's getting paid. And here's McAvoy, our all-star on the back end. We have that figured out. This is what they're getting paid. I think they can build their strategy around it, but you have to be so careful. Like if you're going to choose to pay your stars, which you should do, a team like our favorite, the Maple Leafs has done that as well. You need to be so cost-effective around that, and you have to be really creative. And this is where it comes in, that importance of drafting and developing players, too, because when you want to compete, it's so important to have that balance of huge contracts and the cheapest talent you can get are entry-level deals for two to three years with every player you sign. If Boston could get a little bit craftier with that or start finding players outside the draft that they can get on minimum contracts and truly develop them, that's the balance that like will keep this afloat. Excellent. So if you get to be a good player, but not the good player, you're out. You will not get paid for winning. <laughs> Is that That's the lesson we got here? You get paid elsewhere. You're going to be uh, the Blake Coleman that gets handed a paycheck to go elsewhere instead of the Flames looking for the next Blake Coleman. They're just going to say, here's a five-year contract. You know, like everyone will get their pay somewhere. But if you're the Stanley Cup winning team and you want to stay that way, you have to be smarter. You have to be creative and you have to find good players instead of letting them like Tampa will say, you let Verhage walk, you let March so walk, you let those those players that could have been those like complimentary pieces walk when they should have been your cheap finds because you couldn't figure out your cap math. Well, speaking of some of the examples Shayna just gave, folks, we have some news that is significant enough that I have created a brand new segment for our show today. We're going all in. Our segment is called, How Does This Affect the Leafs? <laughs> Friends, in the most Leafs thing ever, in their last game against, hold on, I just blank Vancouver, Vancouver. This weekend, this weekend, uh, Ryan O'Reilly blocks an Austin Matthews shot with his hand. And now today, it is, uh, today is Monday as we record, the news is coming out of the front office that arguably the biggest deadline acquisition for the Leafs, Ryan O'Reilly has a broken finger and is out indefinitely and on LTIR. LOL, LTIR, right? Uh, I mean, Sarah, what is there to say? (laughs) This is the most Four letters you never want to hear. It just sucks because that, he was playing so well. He was, they were all doing so good. And it, I was happy that Dubas took a chance and everything, but then it's like, of course something happens. Oh, hopefully he's back for the playoffs. I mean, oh, that just sucks. You think he will be back for the playoffs? I mean, it's a broken finger. It's not like he broke his leg. Sarah, you are so legitimately concerned. I love it. Thank I you. know. I mean, I care. <laughs> Sheena, do you have more heartlessness to bring to this conversation? Of course I do. I always okay, do. Okay, let's go. <laughs> First of all, this injury, I was supposed to write, I had a story today on Ryan O'Reilly in Toronto that now is punted and got expanded. So I'm I'm glad we found the injury news when we did because if I had to fucking write that and run it for it to <laughs> die in an hour, I would have lost my damn mind because I did not want to do shit yesterday. Um, so I'm very glad that I got to do nothing yesterday. Thank you, Ryan, for breaking your finger for me. Um, 
I, so it's good that they have players like Lafferty and Achari that they brought into the fold. They're good. They have a lot of players you can play center. The part that I think is going to be really tough for Toronto, and this is what my story is now about, so go read it on Wednesday. Because um, as we say, if you like writers, support them, and you better like my writing, or you better not listen to our fucking podcast. Um, is that... This was their chance, I think, to see him outside the second line. They've played him with Nylander. They've played him with Marner, with Tavares. They've, like, shaken it up a little bit with him playing center at, on the second line. But he was on the third line this game. I think it was the first game he was. And it was a good chance to kind of figure out, okay, we see how we put you in a position to succeed here. And now you got to adjust to our systems. And now we're going to put you on your own to drive your own line, see how you do. Which I think was really important for Toronto to figure out, like, how different is he outside of St. Louis? Was it the systems that made him look bad defensively this year and things like that? And they lost that chance, so that's tough. I think they'll be fine enough that they can figure it out in the playoffs, and he's a smart enough player, and I'm sure he's going to spend his time just watching the team and learning them so he can jump right back in. So, you know, that works, and they're kind of locked into their playoff spot. But it's unfortunate nonetheless because I really wanted to see how he was going to click in different positions there. Like, I really was curious about it, and this is about me now and not about the Maple Leafs. But I'm sure the Maple Leafs have a similar sentiment to me right now. Switching gears then there off of uh, the end of our Biddle News, go buy your merch. Uh, the part of the big reason why people kept talking about Toronto needing to gear up was because it's been factored to be most, most likely that they were going to face the team that usually is the juggernaut of the postseason, and that is the Tampa Bay Lightning. However, if we look at the Lightning these past two games, not only have they lost, but two games ago, their head coach, John Cooper, benches, basically, their entire top line, saying that they weren't contributing. And then in a game that I think all three of us watched on Sunday, uh, they just got annihilated by the Carolina Hurricanes, who, Sarah, keep me honest, it was my understanding Carolina had not beaten the Lightning in quite some time. Is that true, or am I making that up? Yeah, um, I have no idea. All I know is that the Canes beat the Lightning 6 nothing, and the Lightning were held to zero shots on goal in the second period, and that is literally the only time that's happened this season, and I don't know how much it even happened last season, but that was horrible. They, it like, when your coach benches your three stars and then you respond with that, something is wrong, and, like, something is deeply wrong. Like, that was just horrible. Especially the Canes aren't great in day games I don't know not that that has that much bearing on anything but it was oh, just, sure and now the lightning have lost like eight of their last 10 and it's just been really bad for them so I'm just wondering what's going on there and Shana not only is it all bad for all the reasons that Sarah mentioned a friend of the pod Corey Schneider who runs the all three zones website which you should definitely be subscribed to and supporting for his tremendous work uh, asked on, estimated yesterday that in that second period that Tampa Bay had probably only been in their offensive zone for about 45 seconds. And I looked it up and it was 47, 47 seconds of possession time in the offensive zone for Tampa Bay. In addition to all these bads, they also lose big time player Victor Hedman, who took what I thought was an innocuous hit, but then slams into the boards and was very, very, very hurt um, with his back. And Again, when it's not necessarily even the hit, but the secondary impact that seems to be the problem, that's very concerning to me. He came back to the bench, but then left again, did not play the remainder of the game. Where are the Tampa Bay Lightning right now in your estimation? And can they come back and still make a push in the postseason? 
I think they can come back. I think this is a team that if you're going to have your problems, like have it out now. Don't have it late in April. Don't have it when round one starts. Figure out your shit now and figure out your options. But like the game against our favorite team, the Sabres, on Saturday, like the Sabres kicked the shit out of them in the second period. Like I understand the men- the idea of benching the Stars too because I think it was very clear. If I can bench these players, we're going to give us our best position to win and and scored it earlier in the game too. If I can bench them, I can bench all of you. You know, like, and I, I, I did kind of understand that. Like, here it is, a back-to-back. It was, it seemed like a smart strategy. And, like, the Lightning did push back in the third. And it did get closer than I think Buffalo could have wanted. And defending a lead is something they definitely have to work on. But to then rebound that way, like, you're not getting handed an easy matchup. You have the Canes. But it was such a tough game. I think maybe they, I would guess they had maybe one to two shots off the cycle, which is something, yeah, we know the Canes are good at limiting quality chances against, right? Like we know they're good at stopping, you know, teams and really disrupting them from being in the zone because they're so aggressive. But Tampa knows this team. They know how to go up against that and it just wasn't there. Now you pair it with losing Hedman when you look at how their defense is already depleted. Like, Sergeyev, Hedman's had a shitty year and he was finally kind of finding his footing again. Sergeyev's playing really well, but who else? Like, they, it kind of, I thought. Ian Cole? Gonna, yeah, like. <laughs> uh, th- no please. welcome back <laughs> video there. <laughs> it just kind of is tough because, like, I think they could have gone for a depth defenseman at the deadline and they probably were cheap options. But they, and I like the addition of Sander Janot. I really do think he's going to thrive there. But it kind of shows why it's tough that they spent so much and they're gambling so much on this year, which when you're a contender, you can do. You can afford to move your picks out. But they took so many assets for one player that wasn't worth the cost of acquisition when you think they probably could have found cheap options or, I don't know, paid for salary retention with the five picks they sent out and brought in a depth defenseman. They already needed that. Now they're going to be strained even further without Hedman. Like, it doesn't it doesn't look great. So they have to hope that, one, he's healthy, and two, that they can get find their footing again because they gambled so much on this year. And to drive that all home, uh, Sarah brought this up and she was correct. They have actually lost eight of their last 10. Now, three of those have have gone past regulation, but still eight losses in their last 10 is not exactly a winning formula. All right, Uh, let's talk to what else is perhaps not a winning formula in terms of are you going to bring bad karma upon yourself And that is some moves initiated by the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, We talked about some trades, but they move out longtime goaltender Jonathan Quick to the Columbus Blue Jackets. He was not happy about that. And it was reported that his teammates obviously were not happy about that either. While Quick hasn't had the best of seasons of late, he certainly is a big part of that team's legacy. And uh, he felt disrespected, is my understanding. Now, Columbus um, did try and do right by the player in terms of quickly trading him out of Columbus into a contender. And he is now a Vegas Golden Knight, winning his first game yesterday. Shayna, we can all only hope for King's Golden Knight matchup all day, every day. But how much bad karma have the Kings brought upon themselves? Or is this all going to shake out the way the Kings wanted it to? You know it's bad when you just made the Golden Knights be the good guy. When everybody <laughs> knows that's not the case. And here's the thing. The Kings at this point didn't know Jonathan Quick shit. He has been bad for four to five. I think last year was the only year out of his last five years that he's been actually good. He was 
horrible before that. And even last year, he had a streak where he was incredible. He lost the starter's net, and then he got it back because his goalie partner was that bad. So this year, it hasn't been good at all. And I get that. But when you're this close to finishing out a contract of that magnitude, it looks bad. If they moved him two years ago, three years ago, I would have been like, you know what? His play's been bad. Just it, it, it. The less time he's there, the less legacy, I guess you could say, he has, right? Like, sure, he won the two cups, but you could, you know, say a hockey decision, blah, blah, blah. At this point, like, everyone expected it to be, like, a courtesy thing. Um, and they probably wouldn't have moved him if they could have moved out another goaltending contract that's, like, rotting away in the AHL that they signed that hasn't worked out well. But, like, uh, it's, it's probably going to bring some bad karma. And I think everybody's rooting for a revenge series because it would be fun to see a vintage Jonathan Quick performance against the Kings, who... In general, I would say a pretty likable team. How many of us were thought it would be funny if they would, you know, disrupt the Oilers and win last year in round one? And they were so impressive the way that they, like, held their own. But now, if they go up against Vegas, I want seven games. I want drama. I want it to be like, do you remember the Sharks-Golden Knights series where everything turned around when Pavelski got hit high? And it was like, was it a penalty? Was it not? I need, like, drama to those levels. I need it to be the most spiteful series in the world. But, like, I don't even know if Jonathan Quick will be starting in that because, like, Aiden Hill has been really good lately and you still have Logan Thompson. But for the vibes, I'm rooting for it. Let's see what happens, right? Sarah, what is your vibe check on Jonathan Quick, the Vegas Golden Knights, and the Kings? And why do why can't we get Alan Walsh to be Jonathan Quick's agent <laughs> immediately? I know. We need then, the image. We need the sword through him. Someone's going to have to Photoshop that. But I, or the sword getting taken out. Like, what was it? King Arthur? Like, yes, yes. The karma's better. But yeah, I mean, there's, it's a business and the kings are good and they have to do what they have to do. But at the same time, there's a way to do this with a player that has been such a cornerstone to your franchise and that has been through so many shitty years. And that was clearly not it. Like, it takes a lot for these hockey guys to go on the record being upset and wanting people. It's not that it was suddenly leaked that he was upset. It's like there takes some thought to go into that. So he wanted people to know. And, I mean, now he's on a good team. And I think it's probably a, a good situation where he doesn't have to be number one. But he can. He has that experience. And, like, I think it's a good landing spot for him at the end of the day. Allison, Are, can I ask you? I don't um, know. Can you? May I ask you a question? <laughs> okay. Can I ask um, you a question? Uh, you Corpus Allo. in a crowded room. What? Hmm? Yes. I ha- what was that? I don't even... What? Her Taylor name Swift. is Taylor Swift. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> anyway... Everyone's like super hot on Corpus Allo because he's had a good year and he has had a really good year, but I'm skeptical about him because it's one good year compared to some really shitty years. You know the Blue Jackets so well. I mean, they just hosted an Allison Bowl for you the other day where you were the star of the night. Do you think that this is who he is now or are you kind of like, eh? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I haven't actually watched him play as much this season and he did not play in either of the games that the Kraken uh, played against the Blue Jackets. It's hard for me because Yunus Corposalo is one of the best people out there that you'll find in the sport. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the picture, but I guess they were doing a, I don't know what the, the origin of the event was, but they had, you know, little kids match up with the starting lineup in his first game. And they had brought out six little kids for the for the ceremonial anthem and everything. And the sixth little one was standing on the blue line by himself and Corpy came out of the net 
instead of like standing oh. in the net like goaltenders usually do for the anthem, I came and stood next to the little person. Oh, that's adorable. I know, but um, I don't know. I think he has been playing better because if you're playing even remotely well behind that Columbus defense this year, you should get a gold medal. Um, but I worry too because, um, and I believe that uh, one of the Kings coaches was talking about this also, is that... Um, you know, it's so hard for a goaltender to adjust to a new defense and where to place pucks and all of that stuff. So I'm, I'm nervous. I hope he can do well, though. I hope he can do well. All right, let's wrap up with team trends here. And I think we have one team that might be on the rise and one team that might be on the down. Sarah, which one do you want to talk about first? The team going up or the team going down? Team going down. Ooh, interesting. You, as a prize, have picked... The Calgary Flames. This is a team that lost so many superstars uh, this past offseason. Thought they were rebuilding and had a lot of faith actually coming from a lot of the pundits. But they have lost six of their last seven. Their last win coming on February 22nd. Um, and they look to be just done. Um, what is our faith in the Calgary Flames? Are they burning down? Yes. They're going up in flames. Hey! Hey! Uh, yeah, they're just not moving the needle. What were their trade deadline moves? Like nothing really, right? Let's look. Let's. They got look. Dryden Hunt from the Leafs. Game changer. And they traded Richie Brother for Richie Brother. Yeah. Oh, uh, like yes. In, if you're trying to be competitive. Oh, and Troy Stetcher. They got yeah. Troy Stetcher. Okay, there you go. It's like, okay, at the last second, they got Troy Stetcher. What is the vibe? Like, what? I don't know if they improved everything they needed to improve on. I don't know how much they could have done because I think there seems to just be a discrepancy between the front office, coaching, whatever. No, nobody's on the same page about if they want to go for a cup this year or not. Shane, a lot has been said, obviously, about Markstrom in net. And obviously, if you don't have good goaltending, it's hard to get winning results. But if you uh, saw some footage of this Flames team on the bench at the end of their last game, I believe against Minnesota, I mean, it just looks like the towel has been thrown. Are they done? Yeah, they are burnt <laughs> out this year. Um, so goaltending there is interesting because you're talking about a team that has a lot of defensive structure and some really good defensive forwards, too. But he's not getting neither goaltenders getting the goal support their offensive generation like they're so to the outside they're not getting to the quality areas and it felt like they finally had like this balance of three good lines and even that is now broken apart so i go through before the deadline every year and then again during the playoffs the contender checklist and i like to see the 10 elements and how they line up and with calgary the projections were all spot on one of the best rosters around there's a reason we all thought it would work and sometimes when you change the team so much like some styles just don't mesh. That that can happen, right? Like a superstar doesn't necessarily click with the team or you messed up with the chemistry that was good way too much. Here, the fact that you see like all the individual numbers for the most part, except for guys like Blake Coleman and Backlund and those are the players thriving, like they're all down from where they should be. It doesn't look like the ingredients are wrong in Calgary. It looks like the person putting them together is wrong. And for me, it's all about the coaching. I think the vibes feel so, and again, I'm not in Calgary. I'm not in the locker room. I don't know. But it does Calgary feel like, flames you know, forward, Shayna Goldman. Yeah, that's me. That's actually <laughs> me. Except I'm refusing to play because I don't respect Daryl Sutter. And I think, like, we talked about the Peltier thing, I think, on the podcast. Like, 
you know, when he debuted, like, the dickish moves of just, like, not even acknowledging him. But it does, like, that's, it's not a one-off. And even if he has moments where he's a good coach and we've seen him maximize rosters before and look at last year, uh, first of all, defensive coaches can burn their time out, absolutely, because you lose offense too much. Second of all, when you have the attitude that he has and it looks like the vibes are so off, like, who's motivating these players on the bench? Who is stepping up? And yes, it's on the players as well, but this is a good team. It just feels like, nope, not working out. All right, so the flames are extinguished, we feel. Oh, Um, hey, hey, but there is a team that may actually be making a case and make one of those rare late pushes to surge back into the playoffs. And that, my friends, is the Ottawa Senators. It's funny, we talked about Detroit uh, basically showing their colors and then saying to their GM that maybe they just weren't ready yet and then comes the beginning of the sell. Well, interestingly, it was a two-game series between the Red Wings and the Senators that seemed to change both teams' fortunes uh, going into this deadline and beyond. The Senators are currently on a five-game win streak. They've won six of their last eight, and they were the big winners in the Jacob Chikrin sweepstakes. They also brought in Patrick Brown, and they seem poised to make a case to, at the very least, be in the wild card conversation. Sarah, do we believe in the Ottawa Senators? I do. I always have. It's just the injuries and kind of getting meshed together, but it's crazy. It just goes to show how small the gap is in the East with these teams that are vying for the wild card and how, what direction like you can go in. Like the Senators decided, okay, we're going in as they should because they have kind of age I mean they have young players but at the same time they had Giroux and they like kind of promised him okay let's make a push right so you make good on that you look good in front of Ryan Reynolds who wants to buy the team and then you have the Red Wings who are more established in having a trajectory of right we have a plan right there's a vibe and they decided to go the other direction where they're like listen this isn't our year this doesn't have to be our year we're going to sell some people and figure some shit out So I kind of like it for both teams. Shayna, are you here for the Ottawa Senators? Do they play more than 82 games this year? Yeah, I kind of hope they do. I think it's fun. I think we look at the Senators and, like, we were all so impressed of how they built up their forward group and the additions they made. You add in Debrinkat, you add in um, Drew, you have another year of Tim Stutzla, and you get that big extension in, and Josh Norris, and then... You know, they didn't do enough on their back end, and I think it's a systematic problem, and I think it was a personnel problem, and you can have some questions about their goaltending. So... Then they have the Josh Norris injury. He comes back. He gets hurt again. Like, it just felt like maybe it's not their year. You have the Forsberg injury. Maybe it's not their year. And then all of a sudden, something just clicked. Like, at 5-on-5 this year, this team has been so high in shot generation and expected goal generation, but they haven't had the finishing. And then all of a sudden, like, the last 10 games, you see it finally click. And sometimes that's how it goes, right? Like when a team tends to generate shots and do a good job of it, the results will come if they can keep it up. And it feels like, you know, their offense is even better than it was. And now they're getting the results. The defense, you know, has straightened out a lot. So it feels like everything's trending up. And then the goaltending has been a lot more steady behind that because that was an issue too. So it feels like it's coming together. And then you add in Chikrin. You add in the general manager saying, I want to reward my players. That has to have a good vibe. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me that it's not long after some leave the front office, like I don't know Pierre Maguire, who we all questioned why he was there, things start trending up, it's like a good omen, and I wonder how much that influences decision-making there, but like, you know, I don't know how big or small of a role he played, honestly, but 
I, the vibes alone, but like, it seems like Pierre Dorian has really, the last year, picked it up in the team building department. And you see it with Debrinkat, with Giroud, with Chikrin. And he's picking out players like Debrinkat and like Chikrin who are so good that they're not, you can't often get these players via trade or on the free agent market. And he played it really smart. And, you know, now it's let's reward them. I told I told Claude we make a move. Like, come on, you have to feel for that. It just Exactly. It, it's just all coming together at the right time. And even if they fall short of the playoffs, which could happen, would anyone be surprised if they're a point or two out of it and they just fall short at this point? Like, you know, the early season's kind of burning them. But it's good progress for next year. If you can build off that and pick up where you left off and now you'll have Norris in the fold and, so, and you know, Pinto has another year of experience, you're in really good shape. So there's a lot to like there. And Excellent. during during this recording, Claude Giroux was named the second star of the week for the NHL. He has three goals, six assists, and nine points and a plus seven rating in four games. So maybe he's just revving up. Wouldn't that be a delight? I'd be here for that narrative. That narrative I could be here for. Uh, excellent. All right. Well, we're going to keep watching the games and the spreadsheets. We're going to keep <laughs> making sure we come in with takes on which teams did that deadline right, which teams did that deadline wrong. But in the meantime, we end every episode with our favorite game, and that is Fuck, Mary Kill. And today we are Fuck, Mary Killing three hockey narratives. Sarah, you are up first. Are you ready? Here we go. Narrative number one. Flames missing the playoffs. Narrative number two, Ottawa making the playoffs. And narrative number three, Toronto losing their key deadline acquisition player. The I'm obviously, yes, I'm obviously killing my BFFs in Toronto's key injury player, etc. whatever you just said. Um, it's not fair. It stinks. And you know the takes are going to be taking. Does he have a weak finger? That's what they're going to be saying in Toronto. Oh so I am killing that. Does he have a weak finger? <laughs> my column. I'm writing it up. Pinky. That's why they're not going to the second round. I am going to marry the Senators making the playoffs because it'll make me sound smart because I said that from the beginning of the year. Things did not go well. I was like, oh, I guess I really read that wrong. But Maybe I didn't. Like, there's just so many good teams in the East, and I like that they aren't backing down. And I am going to fuck the Flames missing because we have so many puns about Flames being extinguished. And it's just kind of like, uh, like, I'm not really a big fan. Like you said, I'm not a fan of, like, the moves they've been making. And you got to kind of mess up badly from where they were before. I don't know. Shayna? I am going to agree on all of them. I, I'm i going to kill, you know, Ryan O'Reilly getting hurt because I honestly wanted to see how he was going to be in different positions. I wanted to see, I was so curious about how he's going to look outside of St. Louis. Is he, you know, to the heights of his career, can he bounce back in a good system? Like, these were just things I was curious about, so selfishly, I will kill that. And I also think it's really unfortunate for him. Like, here you go, a horrible season in St. Louis. You get to go to bigger and brighter places. The the mecca of hockey, the the city of dreams, Toronto. And this is what happens to you. I mean, it, it's sad. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm upset for those Leaf fans. I'm... Gosh, it's terrible. Anyway, um, I'm going to only fuck the Flames because here's the thing. I actually like some of the players in Calgary. I think that there's some exciting things. I think it sucks that Jacob Markstrom's season is going as poorly as it has. I like Mackenzie Weger. I thought that was a really good move for their back end. And while I'm not the biggest Jonathan Huberto fan, like I'll be honest, I think he's a good player, but I think he's an overrated player and now we're kind of seeing it. I don't want to see anybody 
you know, tail off the way they did this year. It just, it's, everything about it sucks. Um, and so I want to see them bounce back with a new coach. I want to see the impact of coaching. I want to see this exact roster get handed to another coach and see what could happen. And it feels like the Flames are one of the worst teams at picking coaches based on like the vibes and the energy they bring. You look at the negative sources they keep bringing into that locker room and wondering, why doesn't this work? So, you know, I I don't want to... That's fine if they flame out. Let's see what they do to fix it, to, to reignite the flame, to relight their fire, whatever you want to say. And marry the Senators. Uh, the Senators playoff runs in recent years, if we look back, and I have watched them very closely because they played the Rangers, you know, both times. The vibes they bring, there's Eric Carlson on one ankle doing everything, and Mark Stone was in the fold for these playoff mixes, and the Hamburglar, and Curtis Lazar eating a burger. Like, you think of the energy, and all of a sudden it feels like they're kind of bringing that energy back in the regular season that I want to see it in the playoffs. I love the idea of these pesky sons just crushing it, you know, like these if I'm any playoff team and you're going up against them, like this is a team that it feels like Boston versus Ottawa round one, what's going to happen? And it's not that slam dunk of Boston's just going to run away with it. It's like, what could actually happen here? How could they disrupt things? And I think that's a fun narrative and they deserve it. And their general manager deserves credit for acting at the right time and doing something to give this team a good chance and, you know, capitalize on what they're doing right now. So all, all about it. All right. Well, I will agree on the Mary mostly like Sarah, because I want to be right, because I thought they were going to be a playoff team too. But I do think that I, I do like the way in which Ottawa has gone about this. And I think I've, I'm always a little bit more of, like I've said, a stay of the course person in this in this situation. But I'm going to flip my other two. I cannot believe you guys are not here for the Toronto narrative. Come on. Like, I, we've got to fuck that. We've got to. And I, listen, don't come for me, Leafs fans. We all know I'm your biggest supporter, as has been testified by the internet, which is never wrong. Um, but you can't let that die. I am therefore going to kill the flames because for all, I, I agree with you in principle for all the reasons you said. I just don't want to talk about this anymore. Like, it's over. Let's acknowledge it. You weren't willing to acknowledge it last year and really look at what was wrong. So let's just get over it and move on. That's so fair. That's very well, fair. thanks. Thank it's you, Shane. Big Leafs it. fan. You can't marry the Leafs narrative in, in this situation. We can't marry the Leafs right now, but you know what? We'll throw them a fuck. I like that. That's, that's they we'll deserve it. Find out. Yes, exactly. Exactly. If any team deserves it, it's Toronto. Whatever we can do to elevate them. They've had so more. little. They've had so it's, little. It's, it's so hard so for little. them. So, so hard. hard. All right, my friends. Well, thanks as always for joining us. Please do be sure if you aren't already to follow us on the socials. We are on both Instagram and Twitter at two underscore much underscore man. There you can keep up with all of our shows, all of our topics. Tell us what you want to hear about. Suggest Fuck Mary Kills and be made aware when the most recent merch drops, which again on Tuesday, March 7th, watch for some sweet, sweet, sweet New merch that might just be Sarah's favorite yet, if I'm giving a little clue here. We'll see. Um, but check out all of our merch. We have hats, Apple Watch bands, switch cases, sweatshirts, t-shirts, all kinds of fun stuff. Notebooks, burn books. It's all there waiting to make you happy and give some funds towards causes that do exactly what we're asking you to do and however you can, which is every single day, do something small or big to make sure that hockey truly is for everyone. We will talk to you soon. Love you. Bye.